Satan's Last Strike, False Authority, Part 2, is the title of message number 9 of Dr. Joel Hunter's series, The Church and the World of the Future, a study of the book of Revelation. From the New American Standard, Dr. Hunter's scripture text is Revelation chapters 13 through 15. We have never hesitated to do things a little bit differently if there was a good reason for it. And so uh, we're going to switch around the order of worship this morning. Usually uh, we use uh, the time of worship to kind of let God uh, start to break our hearts uh, so that we can really uh, take in all that his word says. This morning we're going to do just the reverse. We're going to begin with the word uh, because you will see that at the end of this message we're going to need to worship. Uh, so this is to lead us to the worship of song and the worship of the sacrament uh, in order to resolve what we have just heard from the text for the day. Now, if you will, re- if you will turn to the um, 13th, 14th, and 15th chapters of Revelation, we will conclude uh, this particular teaching on the Antichrist. You will remember last week we began to talk about the Antichrist, who is the beast from the sea. The sea symbolizes uh, human government, false structures that are external in our lives, but exercise authority over us that only God should have. And we said that that can come from many different realms, including religion. We even uh, put you on the alert of one specific type of structure, uh, if you remember, we talked about the Boston movement of the Church of Christ, and, and I want to tell you that the, that the brochures that I promised are uh, out there. Uh, this was put together by our uh, pastoral care department in order to uh, be good shepherds. Uh, it talks about the, the Central uh, Florida Church. I want you to know, by the way, we would never do anything like this without contacting them, telling them what we were doing, asking them if the information in here was correct and accurate. And that's exactly what we did. And they have confirmed that, although they don't agree with the slant, of course, the information is accurate in this bulletin. So this, uh, we, have, we have acted with uh, ethics and integrity uh, in this matter. I want you to know that. But one of the things that we said was there are structures in, in, in our lives that take over more authority than just our personal relationship with God. And that should never be so. And so when we start to talk about uh, the things of the Antichrist, the things of the world, we've got to look out for those structures that are external, that operate out of guilt and oppression and fear. But there's another beast, and that's the one we want to talk about briefly this Sunday. And that's the beast that comes out of the... Uh, out of the earth, and that is a more subtle, more inward beast. This also contributes to the image of the Antichrist. Read with me, if you will, just uh, beginning with uh, verse 11, 12, 14, and uh, 15. That's, those are the ones we'll read right now. And I saw another beast coming out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence. And he makes... Now, this verb in Greek is a a present indicative verb. And and basically it means it's, it's it's happening right now. It's not something of the past. 
It's not something in the future. It's happening right now. And he makes, right now, he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. In other words, remember, this is the anti-spirit. This is the one who acts as the spirit would act. He's subtle. He's inward. There's, there's a voice that comes from inside and tells you to worship the wrong thing or to give your allegiance to the wrong thing. Okay. Look at verse 14. And he deceives those who dwell on earth because of the signs which was given him to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on earth. Again, that, that verb uh, telling in Greek is a present participle. It's, it's indicative of, a, of a, uh, a repeated and an ongoing action. And so therefore this thing is happening all the time. It's a subtle voice that keeps going off in your head repeatedly. Telling those who dwell on earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword, of the sword and has come to life. And there was given to him breath to the image of the... Uh, uh, I'm sorry. Given to him to give breath to the image of the beast and that the image of the beast might even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And then later on in verse six or 18, it starts talking about the mark which is that 666 number we talked about, which symbolizes a self-contained system. That which doesn't, you don't have to transcend in order to get to something else. It's self-contained in itself. That's the character of false religion. Okay. Let me talk to you about the oldest and most chronic and chief of all of the sins that comes out of our sinful nature. And that would be idolatry. Idolatry may at first strike you as something that we really don't have to worry about these days. Because idolatry may strike you as just a graven image that is outside of yourself. However, I'd like to challenge you this morning to begin to think what your idols are because idols aren't always outside yourself. Idols, as David Siemens would say, may be inside your head. They may be images you have in your head. Now, I don't doubt that there could be a personification of this image in the future. I don't doubt that with our present technology, that there could be some illusory image, uh, uh, maybe a hologram that, that, that personifies what all of the people on the earth would like, to, would like to believe and rely on, and it may speak and it may mislead many people. There may be a technical um, um, image, technological image, that, that literally becomes the personification of all of our idolatry. But meantime, in the meantime... We have idols in our lives. And idols are so important. They're such a distraction that God has warned against from the very beginning seeking our provision, seeking our guidance, seeking our strength in anything other than Him. As a matter of fact, that's what He did in the garden. He said, of any tree you can eat except one. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat of this tree. In other words... All the other I've provided. But don't eat of this one because when you eat of this one, what you're doing is taking your own route. You're going around me for things. You're going to, you're going to get something to, to you think is going to satisfy you other than me. And that's exactly the one they went to. Such a chronic problem it was that in the Ten Commandments, the first two of the commandments had to do with idolatry. Let me read uh, 
the, that passage, and you, want to, you can read with me if you like, in Exodus chapter 20. In verse 2, God says this. He identifies himself as the object of worship. He says, I am the Lord your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to the house of slavery, out of the house of slavery, slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You know what he says there? He says you have other gods. You shall have no other gods before me. If you don't have other gods, how can you put them before God? God says it is our nature to have other gods, but you can't put them before God. You shall have no other gods before me. Now read on with me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in water under the earth. You shall not worship or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. That seems odd to attribute jealousy to God, doesn't it? Why would God be jealous? Because he's so insecure? Because he, he, he needs, he just, he just is afraid uh, that you won't love him enough? No, the jealousness of God, the jealousy of God, is one of protection for us. He says, I, I, I hate those things that will destroy your lives. This doesn't have to do with my insecurity. It has to do with your insecurity. Read on with me. I, the Lord, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers on the children on the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. You know, this is the only commandment that has a punishment attached to it. It's the only one. It's the only one that says, you get this thing in your life and your kids and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren will suffer for it. But like God said, like, like God is, you know, every time he issues a judgment, he always issues a note of grace and mercy and compassion. So don't do that. Do this. Love me. Keep my commandments. And you'll be blessed that many times. Now, let me do this real quickly. I think... That we have a habit. No, I don't think. I know we have a habit that is very subtle in our lives to attribute both to people and to things that hope that, that those people or those things will answer our needs in themselves. Most of us in Protestant evangelicalism aren't so gross as to have physical external idols. We know what that is. There was a there was a there was a such an idol in uh, uh, in Moscow years ago before the before the uh, 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 communist revolution. It was the the Iberian Madonna. This painting of the Madonna had her own little shrine, but people would rent the picture out. They would reserve the picture months and months ahead. Say, we're going to have a baptism at our house. I want that picture present. We're going to have uh, a dedication. We're going to have um, 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 a, a first committee. We, we're going, to, we're going to, to, I need the blessing of this picture. And, they would, and these priests would carry this picture, you know, to the house. And, and it was an object of worship. Not only that, but when they carried it out, they had a duplicate picture for the people who still wanted to visit the shrine. Most of us would say, come on, you know, that's, we don't believe in that stuff. That's superstition. But I want to tell you that it's, a, it's possible to have an image graven in your mind, made in your mind, that is just as powerful to you. You see, <coughs> we begin to think like the world thinks. Now, 
Let me also straighten this out. You know, when I when I start preaching real uh, uh, in-your-face sermons, and I'm not sure how you can preach revelation, revelation without preaching in-your-face sermons. As a matter of fact, I'm not sure how you can preach anything out of the Bible without preaching in-your-face sermons. Whenever I start doing this and start doing it repeatedly, I get a bunch of letters that say, cut it out, you know, quit it, ouch. Um, and they get real angry. And I understand that, and 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 believe me, I do. And the ones, and I read all, I read the ones that are signed. You know, I'll never read an unsigned letter. Don't bother writing me an anonymous note. I'll never see it. I always look for the signature first. If there's no name and address, it goes in the trash can. But all those that are signed and have an address, I read, and I try to take them seriously, and I, and and for self improvement, because I need to know how to be a better preacher. Well, I got one this week that was very, I thought very. Uh, good, very well written. And this one says, you know what, you keep making fun of the world. And you, you, you know, you, 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 your, your humor cuts them down and all of that kind of stuff. And that, I really resent that. I've, I've got unsaved friends, I've got unsaved family, I want to bring them to church without, without them being made fun of. Well, let me apologize to you. I do, I do, uh, have this humor that, that is sarcastic and is cynical. And, and calls people idiots and stupid and, and that's, I'm not, that's not the best tact. But, but I want you to know, if you think I'm making fun of the world, you're wrong. I'm making fun of the world in the church. You see, it's not my business to judge the world. I'm, I'm, it's my business to say, you have take, church, you have taken on the mentality of the world. That's my business. There's, there's a way of thinking that the church takes on that absolutely ruins the church. And one way of thinking is, in the, that I see in the church, well, we, we can't be perfect, so if we just kind of get along with good people and have good deeds and, and, and have good thoughts, then that'll be uh, good enough. And I want to tell you that in the world, second place might seem like it's next to the best, but in the faith, second, pay, second place is tied with last. Second place is just another name for loser. Because only God and only the true God is our answer. You know what happens in Scripture when people worship less than God? That which they worship itself becomes their punishment. Now listen carefully to me. If you have people in your life that are good people that but but do not... Uh, lead you to Christ. Do not let you see Christ. They don't resent you having a, a faith, but they are not that which will finally lead you to the Lord. Those people will become their own punishment in your life. If you do not, if you have good activities and they're helpful, but they do not come from or lead to the Lord Jesus Christ, those activities will take away more in your life than they would ever give to you or anybody else. Those are idols. They are sufficient. They pretend to be sufficient in themselves, but they only lead to disappointment. Do you know that when you read about the plagues in Egypt, many of which are, are pictured in Revelation, that those plagues correspond to the gods that the Egyptians worshipped. There was a plague of cattle. The, the, the Egyptians worshipped an image of cattle. There was a plague of insects. The Egyptians worshipped 
uh, an image of insects. There was there was a plague of, of darkness. Egyptians worshipped light. There was a plague over the Nile. The Egyptians had a god of the Nile. Every one of those false gods became a plague in their lives when the judgment of God came. I want to tell you the same thing happens to us. When we have things that we rely upon and look to other than God, eventually those things become a plague in our lives. And that's what idolatry is all about. It's not about a little external false God that we have to bow down in front of. It's about the more subtle hopes that we have in our lives that are not directly connected with God. The hopes that will eventually, eventually lead us to false um, hope and to disappointment and disillusionment and to spiritual death. You know, David Siemens wrote in the book, um, um, Blueprint for Living. He said, I had a friend who was a missionary in India at the time that the British Empire um, um, divided India into India and Pakistan, 1946 this was, thinking that that would resolve the conflict between the Hindus and the Muslims. He said it did, did just the opposite. For those of you who were alive back then, you will remember the riots in the country as the Muslims moved up toward Pakistan and the, and the Hindus moved back to India and, and there, was, there was all kinds of, of breakdown in civil government. This particular missionary's, um, missionary lived in Calcutta and he remembers a night that the civil authority uh, um, experienced a complete breakdown and there were riots in the street and this missionary looked out from his third floor apartment uh, over this street and he saw these Muslims coming down the street. Now, please don't let this stereotype Muslims. Most Muslims are Sunni Muslims, and they are not violent, and they're not radical. And please, uh, my friend Muhammad Musri would would cringe at me telling this story. But but every every faith has had a radical fashion that has taken to violence, and so this was what was happening. And here comes these there comes these Muslims, you know, um, and and they are coming down the street. And, and looking for Hindus. Now, at that time, Christians in the country had put a big red cross on their door saying, look, we're not Hindus, we're not Muslims, leave us alone, we're not in this. And, and, and what it did for quite a while was given them an opportunity for service that was not, uh, had, didn't have anything to do with politics. But he watched this, this violent uh, a crew of Muslims coming down the street and they stopped at this first door with a red cross on it and they, they talked together for, for a while and they passed it by. And, and they stopped at the second door and they, they talked about, you know, for, with each other for a while and they passed it by. The same thing would happen with the fourth door. There were four doors all together. But the third door, they began to talk and they began to get more and more heated. And they went into that, drug out those people in that house and killed them on the spot. Later, the next day, after the riot, this missionary, his name was Robinson, went down to inquire. What happened was that this family that lived in the third house, when it got there, they proclaimed to be Christian, but they needed some extra income, so what they would do is, is knowing that, that, that uh, many people in the area worshipped idols. They just carved idols for a little extra income. And these Muslims, who are radical monotheists, were, were yelling outside the door. They say they're Christians, but they create idols 
therefore they will be killed. I want to tell you that is an analogy for us in our spiritual lives. For those things that we think are harmless, those things that give us a little extra gratification, whether they be relationships or goals, whether they be institutions, whether they be anything other than God, those things will end up in our spiritual death. You know, in chapter 14, it talks about the sickle. The sickle of God and the sickle uh, uh, in the hand of the angel that comes down to reap. You know, Christians are glad for judgment. They really are. Christians say, come on. Come get the evil. Cut it down. Burn it up. Get it out of the earth. Those who are not Christians face judgment with great terror. But I want to just challenge us this morning. To look at God and say, God, bring the sickle. Bring it to my life. Cut down everything that stands in the way between me and you. Cut down everything that would look like it is the answer to my hope, the answer to my need that doesn't lead me to you. Get it out of my life. And let me see through everything, even the good stuff, to you. Pray with me. Dear Lord Jesus, we are a physical people and therefore we are given to look to physical things for our gratification, whether they be uh, in the people that we hope will love us or the businesses we hope will provide for us or the philosophies we hope will correct the wrongs of the world, whether they be in political systems or whether they be in certain social groups. God, we We look to those things and place our hopes in them. But God, that's idolatry. It's wrong. It has not only a religious element, it is chiefly religious in its yearning. And so, God, we ask you to come and create in us a clean heart. We ask you, Lord God, to remove those things that we would look to instead of you. To, To... Give us the grace and the warmth that the Apostle John experienced when he said in the first verse of the 14th chapter, and I looked and beheld the Lamb. God, let us just look to the Lamb to answer our needs so that when we love, we can be the contributors, we can be the givers. Having our needs answered by you, having our love filled with you. God, purify us today. Help us not to look to others and try to correct them before we take out of our eye that log, which is idolatry. God, come. Love us. Be gracious unto us. And help us experience your love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.